Lord God, we do as we've been singing. We want to be thankful and grateful. Noticing, remembering everything you've done. Lord, even when we don't feel that you are here, you are. You're present. You know us. You care for us. Father, we praise you. You're author of creation and powerful, yet personal. You want relationship with us. We praise you as a God who has been worshipped for generation upon generations in every part of the world. As Lord, you are author of salvation. You provide a way for us to meet to you. You give us full acceptance. You know us fully. You forgive us fully. You love us fully. And you reign over all. Even when our world seems out of control, things are never too big for our great God. We thank you for being our dependable comforter in these turbulent times, always present to journey with us and give us what we, what we don't have in ourselves. And Father, we confess. We confess that we've wandered from your ways, been distracted by the ways of the world. Too often we've listened to the voices of darkness instead of your voice of truth. Forgive us, Lord. Renew us. Please renew us. Give us a heart that longs for you above all. We do kneel before you today, Father. We ask you to be our guide, our comforter, our provider, now in the days ahead. Amen. Well, thank you, Larry. Good morning. My name is Sean Reese. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, yes, we will be in John today, and you're probably wondering what elephants have to do with John. So let me tell you, if you read many of the commentaries for John, you'll usually encounter a quote that goes something like this. John is like a pool that is shallow enough for a child to wade and deep enough for an elephant to swim. So we are thankful to be swimming with elephants in the Gospel of John. On the one hand, the Gospel is commonly given to new believers and even inquirers to explore the Christian faith. I remember many years ago, I did a, uh, an Advent message on the uh, prologue to John, and afterward, a lady called me and said, I don't know anything about the Christian faith, what should I do? And I said, read the Gospel of John. And as those words were coming out of my mouth, I thought, but hold it, there are really tough passages in John. So what do I say now? And I just blurted out, well, you know, when you get to those parts that you don't make any sense, maybe you just skip and go to the next chapter. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. I didn't know what else to say, but that's what I said. So yes, the gospel, this gospel is shallow enough for a child to wade. But on the other hand, as Leon Moore says, years of close study of this gospel does not leave one with the feeling of having mastered it but rather with the conviction that it is still strange, restless, and unfamiliar. The gospel welcomes the humble and endlessly challenges the wise. And we say, of course it does, because it's the story of Jesus, and Jesus is for all people. 
Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Oh, Father, will you touch our hearts this morning and make us fall in love more with your Son, Jesus, through your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me explain a little more of what we're doing today. Okay, Larry said a little bit, but Advent begins next week, already, next week. Um, And uh, we'll get back to John in April, but since Advent begins next week, and if you remember last week, we finished chapter 12 in John. Chapter 12 is the great division in the book, okay? Chapter 12 is the book of signs. And chap, uh, 1 to 12 is, is the book of signs. Chapters 13 to the end is the book of glory. And I didn't want to spend today, the last week, in chapter 13, you know, heading into the book of glory. So what I thought I would do is review chapters 1 to 12 today. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to review chapters 1 to 12, and we'll leave time for a story at the end and, of course, communion. So to begin the review, I thought I would begin at the beginning, the prologue, one of the most magnificent pieces of literature ever written. It is much more than simply a preface to this gospel. As I said when we studied it years ago, the prologue is more like an overture to a great musical. It's like the first song in The Sound of Music. That first song, The Hills Are Alive, introduces all the great themes for the musical. Likewise, the prologue to John introduces us to all the great themes of the gospel. In fact, it's been said you should read the prologue before you read any other text in the gospel because the prologue will give you an introduction to whatever text you're looking at. So I'm going to read a little bit of the prologue, not the whole prologue in a minute, but this morning I'd like to try something. In the spirit of thanksgiving and being thankful, when I read a scripture passage today, I'm going to say at the end, I'm going to say the word of the Lord, and I want you to reply, thanks be to God. Okay, can we do that today? So, here it goes. I'm going to begin by reading a few verses from the prologue. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why is this gospel of John deep enough for elephants to, to wade, to swim? Well, because the word, Jesus, who was with God and was God, became flesh and dwelt among us, and he has made the living God known. The exceedingly majestic, immortal, 
infinite, invisible, living God has a face. And that face is Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I study the Gospel of John, I imagine that I go on a talk show. I get invited to a talk show, and let's just say it's the Jimmy Fallon show, just um, for whatever reason. But I go on the Jimmy Fallon show, and he asks me a bunch of questions, and eventually he gets, me, gets to the question, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm a pastor. And he says, well, what kind of church are you, do you pastor at? And I say, well, I'm at a Bible-believing church in the Bay Area. And he says, um, so does that mean you believe in Jesus? And I say, yes. I believe in Jesus from the Bible. And he says, why? If you believe in Jesus, how would you answer that question? Why do you believe in Jesus? Here's how I would answer it. Because no one ever said the things Jesus said, and no one ever did the things Jesus did. And of course, I would go to the first 12 chapters of John to explain it. So I'll begin with the words Jesus said. It's actually in chapter 7 of John where some policemen are sent to arrest Jesus and they come back without Jesus. And why, in their words, no one ever spoke like this man. Indeed, no one in history ever spoke like this man, Jesus. And it's the Gospel of John where we hear best his unique claims about himself. And those unique claims are captured in seven I am statements. These seven statements go a long way in describing Jesus' identity as the great I am, as the one who was with God and who was God. Jesus makes the living God known through these I am statements. But also in these I am statements, we hear the unique gifts Jesus brings us as the I am, gifts for which we are eternally thankful. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Along with water, bread is essential for life. So Jesus is saying that he is essential for life. Even more, belief in him will bring satisfaction and contentment. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. By saying this, Jesus is saying that with him we will not walk in darkness and the fear, confusion, and disorientation that comes from walking in darkness. By believing in him, we now have a light to navigate our postmodern, complex, and confusing world. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. With this saying, Jesus is claiming he will lead his sheep in love and kindness and grace and mercy, even lay down his life for his sheep. And by listening to his voice above all other voices, his sheep will follow him to abundant pastures. Jesus says, I am the gate. Maybe the most enigmatic of Jesus' sayings but as the gate of a sheep enclosure, he will provide safety and security for those who believe in him. 
And this safety and security lasts through the grave into eternity. For Jesus also says that no one will snatch his sheep out of his hand. And standing before the grave of his dear friend Lazarus, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Right now, this is my favorite of the I am sayings. With this saying, Jesus is claiming to give his resurrection life to all those who believe in him. As he went through the grave and came out the other side, so will all those who put their trust in him. Yes, death is real and death is awful, but it is not final for those who believe. A believer's life is no longer bound by death. Now, there are two more I am statements coming in chapters 14 and 15. We'll talk about those when we get there. But for now, have you ever heard anyone speak like this? No. Because as those policemen said, no one ever spoke like this man. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the resurrection and the life. The word of the Lord. No one ever said the things Jesus said, but no one ever did the things Jesus did either. In the first 12 chapters of John, Jesus also makes unique claims about himself through six mighty deeds that are called signs. John calls them signs because they point beyond the miracle to an underlying spiritual truth. They signify something deeper. Now, of the many John could have picked, he picked six astounding miracles. Jesus begins by turning 125 gallons of water into vintage wine. He then heals a, an official son with just a word from a distance. He feeds some yeah, 10,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He heals a lame man, a blind man, and he brings Lazarus back from the dead. Six unbelievable, mighty deeds. So what is John trying to show us through them? What is the deeper truth? Well, in each one, Jesus makes God known by revealing his glory, by revealing God's glory. Now, as I said last week, glory is a way of speaking of the character of someone or something. Therefore, in each mighty deed, God signs his name. He signs his name as if to say, this is me. Because in each one, his character is being made known. Now, I think there are three character traits that especially stand out. Number one, love. Each one is done with the loving word or touch of Jesus. Jesus loves me, this I know. That's our foundational truth. And each mighty deed demonstrates Jesus' love and also the Father's love. Number two, hope. 
In each one, a person or people reach the end of their rope. They stand before Jesus in utter helplessness. And Jesus responds as if to say, I got this. I got this. I'm sufficient for this. In fact, I'm sufficient for every need you have from now through eternity. It's like in each one, Jesus says, yeah, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And number three, abundance. In each one, there is a hint, sometimes subtle, of the exceeding abundance of life with Jesus, of the with God life. Jesus really has come to give life and give it abundantly, eternally, and each deed reveals that. But there is one climactic deed to come. Of course, it's not in chapters 1 to 12. It's beyond. But as the days of the week have six days plus one of extra significance, so with John, there are six signs with a final one of extra significance. Other people have done mighty deeds similar to those first six signs. You can just read the Old Testament. You can find some, some similar deeds. But no one... Before Jesus or after Jesus ever did what Jesus did on the weekend that changed the world. In chapter 1, John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and he said, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No one except Jesus ever died for the sin of the world. No one except Jesus ever bled for the forgiveness of sins. And no one except Jesus went through the grave and came out the other side in an eternal body. This is, of course, ultimately why we can believe Jesus when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, I am a sinner saved by grace. I'm also your pastor over worship and music. For those that, um, that are new to this church, my name is James Garcia. And for those on the live stream that maybe are new to our um, online community. Um, I am the pastor over worship and music. Um, this morning, I, um, yeah, I, I, want, I want you to first know that I'm not a theologian. I don't know Hebrew. I don't know Greek. Although I've been at this church a long time, so I probably know more than I am admitting. Um, but today I want to speak about a different type of a language and uh, that is the language that God speaks to our heart. Um, when Sean first asked me to talk, I, I was like, Sean, there, there's no way. There's not enough time in this service. And it's not a place I like to go back and, and revisit. But, but that language of the heart is why I speak this morning, because God spoke to me and said, you need, you need to speak. 
Um, there's, there's two things that I, I want to make sure that I communicate to you today. It's my prayer, my hope for this morning, and that is God is still speaking today, and we all have access to his language of the heart. So uh, to keep things within the time frame that they gave me in this ongoing process of this story, um, I'm going to narrow it down, and I'm going to use Psalm 40, my life verse, the first three verses, to frame it. So I'm going to begin with the first verse, which is, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry. When I first read that, as a young, young believer, I, I was having problems with that first line of waiting patiently. What is that? What is it to wait patiently? And the more that I studied that verse... Um, I found out that the word patient is a word that's derived from a Latin word that means suffering. And so I read it one way and I interpret it another way. I interpret it this way. I waited and in my suffering, the Lord turned to me and he heard my cry. Because that's what he did. So I'm going to start from the very beginning as a young boy in Texas. <laughs> I was introduced to music by my cousins who were professional musicians. And um, that introduction changed my life forever. Soon after that introduction, uh, my family decided to move to California. And that changed everything for me. I entered a world of isolation, neglect, and survival. Uh, with a father that worked two jobs, we didn't have a lot of interaction, um, and a family that didn't display outward emotion, affection, encouragement. It created in me this great need to be known, a longing to be known, and I was left to my own resources to figure it out. And I looked in all the wrong places to do that. And by the way, that need to be known, I believe that every one of us in this room and everyone that is watching on that live stream have that same need. The Bible even talks about it. Hear the word of the Lord. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror dimly. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. When I entered my teen years, I began a life of performance, trying to keep up with what I thought I saw in the mirror as everyone else's expectation of me. I performed, and I performed, and I performed, and I performed. Each time in that performance, I was attempting to receive approval from anybody so I could extract my worth. Then one day something happened, and I'm not going to go into the details of what happened, but it changed my life in a way, uh, in a bad way. Um, I will say that it was a humiliating situation on a public stage. I'll just leave it at that. Um, but when that happened, from people that I cared about and loved and I thought loved me, I decided I was going to stop living for the approval of other people and start living for myself. 
The second verse of that psalm says, he lifted me out of a slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. So let me tell you about the slimy pit. I was now in my 20s, and I immersed myself in a full-blown, drug-induced world of depravity. I had no compassion for anybody <clears throat> or anything except myself. I made it a promise that I would never be hurt and I would hurt you before I was hurt. The sad thing is I still know how to do that. One night, in a drunken stupor, playing in a club somewhere, I don't know where, it was a town somewhere, I looked out the window and I challenged God. I almost mocked him. I said, if there's a God, if you're real, why don't you show me you're real? Show me you're real. Because my life was headed in a downward spiral. And God thankfully said, that's close enough to a prayer. I think I'll answer him. And answer he did. In the height of my depravity, God led me to meet a person that he would use to call me to him and change the course of my life. That person's name is Milan. Her life <laughs> Her life was filled with scars from emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. We were two high-speed trains on the same track, headed for a head-on collision, and crash we did. We moved in together for four years and proceeded to destroy each other. Long story short, one day I was playing in, um, I think it was Medford, Oregon. Finished the gig, I was driving back to where I was living with Milan. And I called her, and uh, we had a conversation. And then at some point, she said, I need to stop you for a second. Um, I need you to know that I can no longer see you because I've accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. And we are unequally yoked. And I was quiet for a moment, and I thought to myself, unequally yoked. Let's see, eggs, scrambled. Um, what in the world are you talking about? I had no clue. She ended the conversation with these words, I'm praying for you, James. Which I quickly responded, do not. Pray for me. I am fine. Pray for anyone else, but do not pray for me. Yet she did pray. I'm a testimony to the power of prayer. And prayer would soon reveal itself in my life. Fast forward to my road 
to Damascus experience. That's a saying, and it's a saying that we use to say when, when people have a sudden uh, radical change in perspective. So I was playing in a nightclub, and um, it was a club. I said the nicest way I could say this is it catered to men and exploited women. Without going into too much detail, maybe you get the picture. In that club in Vallejo, California, God opened my eyes to see these young women as daughters and not as objects to be used. I knew I was changing and I didn't know why. I didn't know the power of prayer. The hound of heaven was relentless, even to the point of one night of me seeing a billboard outside my rehearsal studio in downtown San Jose, and it was a picture of Jesus like this, and he said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That billboard caused me to go inside that room and get on my knees and ask Jesus Christ into my heart. And that's what I did in the dirty, mud-filled, scum, graffiti. It became holy ground. I got up thinking I would see lightning or something, and I saw nothing. But I knew what I had done. And I went home, and I called the manager of my band, and I said, I can no longer be in the band because I've accepted Jesus Christ into my heart and we are unequally yoked. <laughs> but by that evening, the reality of what I had done started to sink in. I quit my job. I have no income. I have no other skill but this. I had no friends. I had no one to talk to. And it was that, at that point that the devil came and he ripped me apart. Fear consumed me in a way that it had never done before. And I, I fell on my face and I began sobbing to the point of where I thought I was either going to lose my mind or I was going to do some bodily harm to myself. And then something happened that I can only explain as an encounter with Jesus Christ. A physical encounter where his presence, his presence entered the room. I was, like A.W. Tozer says, seized by the power of a great affection that night. It was in his presence that the most intense fear I had ever felt simply just left my body. Like a wave from the beginning of the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, it just left. Fear had suddenly gone. It was gone, and I was no longer lost in a world of darkness. Someone died that night. The old James died that night, and a new James found life. And I found life in Jesus. 
There's a song that I sing, and every time I sing this line so that you will know, I think about that moment. I think about that moment. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Those are inspired words from God himself. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. The firm place on which I stood needed no other support than him. I didn't need attention. I didn't need recognition. I didn't need performance. I didn't need music. I wanted nothing to do with it anymore. I just wanted Jesus. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. So now I'm in my 30s. And I don't need music. Wow, that was a new twist. But I truly had laid it down. And as I did, God's language to the heart spoke to me and said, you don't need to perform to be known by me. When I redeemed you, I redeemed your music. So pick it back up for me. And I did. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their hope in him. I have now lived more of my life as a believer. Since that first encounter, many have heard, many have seen, even more than I know, songs that he has given me to give to you. so that we can all understand one thing, and that's in God's economy, his still small voice is still speaking to our hearts today. He has the power to overcome any evil. He allows fear and hope to walk in harmony with each other, to draw us to him. And he allows his perfect love to cast out fear. It's available today if you choose well. And if those choices align with what is written in his book of life, you will have these words spoken to your heart. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for listening. All praise be to God. Thank you, James. Well, as you can see, every one of us, like James, is confronted at some point with the reality of God, which means the reality of Jesus. What will you do with Jesus? The most important question in life is who is Jesus? Specifically, who is Jesus to me? I wonder how you answer that question this morning. This is actually John's purpose for writing his gospel. It's to confront us with that question. It's like in every single text in those first 12 chapters, John implicitly or sometimes explicitly confronts each one of us with that question. Hey reader, (laughs) hey reader, after reading this text, who is Jesus to you now? 
In chapter 20, he clearly states this purpose like this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. So do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? I pray your answer is yes. I pray Jimmy Fallon's answer is yes. And if the answer is yes, then as John says, you will have life. That's a promise. You will have life, eternal life, because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done. And so we are thankful to be swimming with elephants in the Gospel of John because we do see so clearly the majesty of Jesus, the gift he is, and the life he gives as he makes God known to us. And so as we enter Thanksgiving and the Christmas season, we remember to be thankful for him. Even while we eat our turkeys <laughs> and open our Christmas gifts, we remember that he is the greatest gift. He is the giver of all good things. We remember to keep him at the center because when he's at the center, the center holds. Well, at this time, I want to give us a chance to reflect. And I want to read the last verse of the Psalter like this. Let everything that has breath thank the Lord. The word there is praise, but I changed it to thank. Let everything that has breath, thank the Lord. And here's what I'd like to do. I'm gonna repeat this phrase three times with a short time in between. So after I say it the first time, can you think with thanksgiving about your own heart and your own breath of your desire to thank the Lord? Perhaps you feel the Lord speaking to you this morning and this might be a time for you to invite the Lord into your life for the first time. After the second time, in your own way, can you think with thanksgiving about who Jesus is and about what he's done? And after the third time, in your own way, can you think with thanksgiving about your longing that all creation, everything that has breath, give thanks to the Lord. So the first time is focused on yourself, the second time on Jesus, the third time on everything that has breath. Here goes. Let everything that has breath thank the Lord.
Let everything that has breath thank the Lord. Let everything that has breath thank the Lord. Amen. Well, at this time, we come to the table and we come with thanksgiving. Everyone who has invited Jesus into their lives may participate in communion here at PBCC. It is here where we tangibly remember with thanksgiving who Jesus is and what he has done. In our crazy, busy world, which is only going to get busier over the next month, it's so easy to forget who he is and what he's done. Because we all suffer, suffer from a major disease. It's called spiritual amnesia. We so easily forget how majestic Jesus is, how great his promises is, and how life-giving his presence is. We so easily forget him. And so we so easily forget to be thankful for him. So today we take this bread and we take this cup and we remember with thanksgiving who he is, and what he's done. Let's pray. A good father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you, in your mercy, sent Jesus, your one and only eternal son, to live as one of us and to die as the Lamb of God to reconcile us to you. Jesus stretched out his arms upon that cross and he offered himself in obedience to your will, a perfect sacrifice for the whole world. And so we proclaim our faith to the whole world. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. And after saying a blessing, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body given for you. Eat in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, this cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. 
Now receive this benediction. During this holiday season, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All glory and honor and power are due him forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.